Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats, and welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Before we get into today's show with a couple of free staters, I want to tell you about a little something we're doing to start off the new year the right way, because it's not just a new year, it's a new decade, or some claim it's not. Some say it's 2021, but we're just rolling with it because... It's the Roaring Twenties. Once again, remember the Roaring Twenties? Most of you probably don't. But we're going to make this decade, the 2020s, into the Roaring Twenties because we're going to be roaring for liberty. And to celebrate that, we're going to be giving away a brand new t-shirt design, our Lions of Liberty Roaring Twenties new t-shirt, which you can find at our store at lionsofliberty.store. But how do I get one for free, Mark? You might be asking. And if that's the case, well, I am here to provide the answer. And that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride by supporting us on Patreon, which funds this entire show, sends us to the LNC, where we're going to be there doing video interviews, creating a little mini documentary, and will help us grow even bigger and better in not just the year, but the decade ahead. And now for the entire month of January, we'll be showing our appreciation for that support. Anybody who joins our Patreon at the $10 or higher level will receive a free Roaring Twenties Lions of Liberty t-shirt, and anybody who joins at $5 will receive 30% off one of those very same t-shirts that is essentially giving you one at cost. So please do head over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Consider supporting the show and let's start this decade. Let's start the Roaring Twenties with a roar for liberty. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, Liberty Kitty Cats, today I've got a very special show. It's uh, it's it's special. It's always special, of course, but it's extra special today because I've got not one but two very active members of the Free State Project up in New Hampshire with me. First, he is the founder of the Free State Project. He wrote the original paper, which created the Free State Project way back in 2001. I'm very pleased to welcome Jason Sorens. Jason, are you ready to roar? Let's go. All righty. And next up, she is also a free stater. She is the founder of Bardo Farm and a former Free State Project board member. Very pleased to welcome Miss Jody Underwood. Jody, are you ready to roar? I am ready to roar. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I brought you both here today because I want to bring a, t- a little more attention to, to what you guys are doing up in the Free State Project. I have attended Porkfest a couple times. I can tell you that it is a, is a wonderful event. I highly recommend uh, visiting Porkfest and meeting many of the people up in the Free State. And we'll talk a lot more about what you guys are doing with the Free State Project. And uh, as well, you have Liberty Forum coming up in a couple weeks. But first, I want to get to get, know you guys a little bit better. So I want to start off learning how each of you first got down the path of Liberty. How did you first learn about these ideas? Jason, we'll start with you. What first sent you down the path to the ideas of liberty? Yeah, uh, I would say really what got me seriously on that path was when I did an after-school program in high school uh, called the 10 Pillars of Economic Wisdom. I later learned that uh, just a a few years before I went through the program in Houston, Texas, um, someone else did. uh, Ted Cruz actually did it uh, (laughs) a few years before I did. Um, I've but heard of was, that guy. Uh, yeah, he uh, he may have he may have picked up something on the on the economics, but uh, <laughs> but maybe not the whole picture. Uh, so that was really a, a program where we learned um, free market economics, and I read everything that they sent me. They sent um, a lot of Mises and Hazlitt, and even some Rothbard, and I devoured it all. 
and I didn't have a label uh, for those ideas, but I was definitely persuaded of um, the value of free markets and individual liberty, um, and just sort of grew in that as I explored those ideas further. Jody, what about you? What what first sent you down this wacky path of libertarianism? Hmm. Um, I mean, it's interesting to think of it as a path rather than an identifying a realization, if uh-huh. you will. Um, so there were really two things, I think, that got me to the label anyway. Um, what, what happened was with my husband. We had just started shooting, and um, he, my husband wanted to buy a, an extended magazine for one of his pistols and found that he couldn't, that suddenly he was treated as a criminal, and it really annoyed him. And he started reading everything about, you know, Second Amendment and all this stuff. And probably as a result of that, we started reading Reason magazine, and Reason was the first time things started making sense. I'd been questioning everything for a really long time, and suddenly it was like, oh, libertarians think like me, got it. So that that was really my story. And that's also actually how I heard about the Free State Project was through Reason Magazine. Awesome. Well, let's dive right into a little bit more about the Free State Project itself. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of it. But for those that haven't, Jason, I want to start with you. Why don't you just start with how you first actually came up with this idea for the Free State Project? How did this idea come to you? It came to me when I was a graduate student. And this was uh, not too long after the 2000 election. Uh, so it's a while ago, about a decade and a half ago, and I was—I um, had been a little bit active in libertarian politics, and I was disappointed at the direction that national politics uh, were going. And at the same time, I was doing a little bit of research. I was actually working on my dissertation uh, in political science, and uh, my research was on uh, secessionist movements around the world, movements for independence. Uh, and basically the way that governments responded to them. And one of the things I found was that in countries that have uh, secessionist movements, we've seen more decentralization of power as central governments try to uh, mollify voters that might otherwise vote for independence Well, they're giving them autonomy instead. Uh, look at how much autonomy Scotland has gotten over the years because of uh, the United Kingdom's desire to prevent it from gaining independence. Mm. And um, I noticed furthermore that over time, most countries are becoming more decentralized. And now, the United States has been an exception to that. Right? So at least since the 1930s, the U.S. has become more centralized with more power in the federal government and less in the states and local governments. But if that trend overseas came to the U.S., it would imply that states would become really important over time. And so all of that made me think about states as a locus for libertarian political activity and um, a small enough uh, domain that libertarians can actually have a big influence. I didn't think we could ever have a big influence on the federal government, but maybe if we identified a state that was already somewhat friendly to our ideas, um, we could all move there and uh, make a freer society. So I wrote up a little essay proposing this idea. I sent it to a a high school friend of mine who's actually now a philosopher at University of Edinburgh, but I sent him this this idea and he he really liked it, thought I should uh, publish it. Um, So I sent it to this little online journal called The Libertarian Enterprise and the editor at the time wanted to sign up right away. So I figured I might be onto something. And, uh, And after that essay came out, about 200 people emailed me saying that they wanted to make this a reality. 
And that's how the Free State Project was born. And at that time, did you have a specific state in mind or, or was it more just a, the general idea? It was really just a general idea. I mean, we knew we wanted to choose a smaller state that was friendly to libertarian I- ideals already. Right. And uh, we left it up to the voters to decide. The first 5,000 people who signed up for the Free State Project had the right to vote. Uh, we ended up with a list of 10 states and people could rank all 10 of those states. We chose the state that defeated every other state by a majority head-to-head. Uh, it's called the Condorcet winner. And that state ended up being uh, New Hampshire. I'm curious, were there any other states that were kind of, uh, you know, close contenders or, or was it pretty much a blow away? Uh, it wasn't terribly close, but the closest uh, competitor state was Wyoming. Uh, so Wyoming defeated every other state except New Hampshire and uh, voters preferred New Hampshire to Wyoming, I want to say 57 to 43 percent. That was basically the margin of victory. Um, and I think it helped that the governor of New Hampshire was the only governor of the 10 states we were considering to actually support us, sign up oh, as wow. a friend of the Free State Project, and encourage us to uh, to choose his state. Wow, wow. And Jody, you mentioned you first heard about the Free State Project uh, through Reason Magazine. When did you go from just uh, you know sort of an idea that you heard about and thought was interesting to something that where you actually became, uh, you know, signed up and actually became a Free Stater? Huh. Um. So when we when we saw the ad, um, we thought, "Wow, what a great idea! Next time we're ready to go on adventure, on an adventure, let's let's consider that. Let's think about New Hampshire." We didn't read anything about it. We didn't know about sign up, you know, beforehand or whatever. And and so then a few years later, we actually found ourselves wanting to go on an, on such an adventure. Um, we were living in the Philadelphia area outside of there, and we had made a couple of friends who wanted to change. They wanted to live in the country, live off the grid, and this was down our alley also. They wanted to live near skiing. She was from Vermont, actually. And, uh, and he, he just wanted to live up there anyway. So we we're like, oh, wait, New England, let's, let's do New Hampshire. Let's look into this. And so then we started looking into the Free State Project and, um, and just really liked the idea of it. And we found a house in our first visit that we um, bought, a house and a large property, actually. So we live on 210 acres off the grid. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so we signed up, you know, when we knew that it was happening, you know, that was basically after we had learned how it all worked though. So not exactly the normal story. Right. And I, I presume that 210 acres is what, uh, would soon develop or maybe not soon, but it would eventually develop into Bardo farm that you started. Can you, can you speak on that a little bit? And did, did you have any experience, you know, with farming or anything before, before you started doing this? Uh, no, we, so we inherited, uh, some animals when we bought the property. So uh-huh. the people we bought it from, they had a team of oxen, which is two. I didn't know that when I moved here, <laughs> mind you, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. So right. uh, <laughs> this is all very foreign girl, to you at the time, you know? I would think then. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we had a dog that was about my experience with, with animals. Um, so two oxen, uh, two goats, about a dozen laying hens and uh, you know, we just started taking care of them, care of them. and Neil and Emily, um, the other couple that we, we bought the property with and moved up with, um, they had had experience with animals just at least more than we did. But you know, if it weren't for YouTube, we probably couldn't have done anything. Um, so we, we relied on that a lot. Um, including living off the grid. I mean, really <laughs> none of us knew anything about how to do this. Um, and then, 
So Neil and Emily got married about a year after we moved up and a wedding present they got was two piglets. Now we had been thinking about getting pigs prior to that. And so somebody knew that and bought us, bought them. I say us, I took all the presents from the wedding to be all for all of us. Um, <laughs> but us uh, two piglets, which we started taking care of. And that's, that was basically the start of it. After the two, it was like, wow, that was easy. Let's do it again. You know, so we raised them all spring and summer and then we harvested them in the fall. We had people in town um, help us learn how to, to do the harvesting and then came in and um, poached us while we did it. I mean, it was amazing. Just people we, we barely knew. These weren't even free staters, but our town is filled with like-minded people. It was just the greatest experience. And so after the next year, we did four and then more and more. And then Neil and Emily decided they wanted to, to really grow the farm. So, and it is more theirs. So I, in some sense, I was a founder. I, I call myself one of the faces of Bardo Farm because I don't, I mean, I have done just about everything having to do with uh, taking care of animals, well, raising animals and harvesting them in particular. Um, my husband has a much uh, bigger role than I do these days, um, but it's Neil and Emily's farm at this point, Neil and Emily Smith. Gotcha. So it wasn't necessarily the plan. You just sort of fell into it and have, have learned everything along the way. Um, yeah, it was just doors opened and we, and we opened them wider is better how I would look at that. Yeah. Do you find that to be sort of a, I guess, a, a common path for not necessarily starting a farm, but for people that move to the free state, they they kind of have this idea that they want to go do it. They might not necessarily have planned it all out. And this is something either of you can speak on, uh, but they just sort of show up in the community and uh, sort of helps them along and helps them build a, build a life there. You know, you get all different kinds of people moving here. So some people come with jobs in hand. Um, they they want to find a job before they come. Some people show up and don't even know what they're going to do. And some of them find help and some of them don't. Um, it depends on, on what they're looking for. Um, it, uh, many, many people, though, talk about wanting to start a homestead and just raising their own meat and vegetables and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just all sorts of people show up for this project. That's my experience. Maybe Jason has a different experience. You know, I, th I think that's right. Uh, some people have um, the ability to work remotely, uh, but some of them often find that once they get here, they find better job opportunities. So people's mm -hmm. lives take interesting evolutions. Um, you know, in my case, I started out with a temporary job uh, that ended up being not so temporary. And then I ended up uh, with uh, with a better job uh, and moved elsewhere in the state. So that's the kind of thing that that happens. Um, you know, in general, taking the leap um, provided you um, built up some skills and you built up some savings uh, tends to work out because it's a state that's pretty economically dynamic, and you can um, find help and you can find, uh, um, good jobs and, and good opportunities if you're looking for them. How much would you say that the free state project or maybe just the free state, you know, m many members of the free state project, how much would you say their activity is more focused on, on politics, on like changing the actual politics and, and laws locally versus just say like lifestyle type stuff, like trying to be trying to get off the grid, trying to build a, you know, a separate life that is more free of the state. And again, either of you can, can speak on this. I think there's a, a mix there as well. Uh, in terms of people who really exert uh, a lot of activism in the political realm, I would say it's a, a minority. I would love to see more people who are um, dedicating some of their free time uh, to those kinds of activities. There are a lot of people who um, 
are sporadically active in the political arena or who, who take opinion or, you know, who have opinions, who kind of um, uh, vote and, and maybe uh, throw a few dollars uh, toward a, a candidate who's maybe a friend or something like that, but are not consistently active. And then there are some who are super activists. And then there are those who um, are more interested in the, in the lifestyle side of things or who are active in other areas like education or media. Um, you know, there are uh, regular market days now around the states. So there's um, there's definitely some outlet there for people who are uh, entrepreneurs on a small scale to uh, to practice that. So we do get all types. Um, I would say probably a large majority of free staters do see changing the policies here to make the state a freer place as a core objective of the free state project. But not everyone has. Uh, talents, you know, to or, or time to become a legislator um, or uh, or do a lot of that really serious activism. All right. And Jody, I mean, I, from the little I know about you, I feel like you're a little bit involved in both aspects of this. Obviously, you know, the farm is sort of one side of things, but I know you've been very active uh, on the issue of school choice. So can you speak to that issue a little bit in New Hampshire and, and the work you've been involved to, uh, with uh, to that end? Sure, but I, I just want to um, sort of finish up on that previous point. So oh, I yeah, really, sure. I really, I really do very little with the farm. I telecommute. Uh, I work right. for a company in a different state, and I travel gotcha. a lot. So, um, and I and I have a full time job. Um, so, uh, but education, right? So I, I I got myself on the school board in in Croydon, in my small town of Croydon, population about seven hundred people, um, and. I, so I have a PhD in education and I have spent the last 30 or so years focusing on some aspect of education or learning or helping people to learn or research in education and so on. Um, and my area is, I'm, I'm, I call myself a learning scientist and I focus on using technology for learning. That's, that's my area for um, professionally. Um, and so since school is my thing, I started going to school board meetings and after, and I was just listening. I just wanted to see how it worked. I knew nothing about how, how schools work in New Hampshire. Um, and I don't know, some number of months in, one of the people on the three-person school board was leaving the state and so was stepping down. So they asked me if I wanted the position. And um, I said, sure. Um, so I got appointed to the school board in October 2010, I guess. Um, and... I basically I had to run that following March and I I'm now finishing my third full term um, of which is three year terms. So I've been on the school board for over nine years. Um, and what can I say about that? Well, um, when I first got on the school board, um, we were already starting to look into school choice. So the neighboring school district where we were sending all of our grade four through 12 students, um, they were a failing school district based on the no child left behind and how they define things. And it's like three years in a row, kids not improving and not doing well and so on. And so we took a poll in the town to see if people were happy sending their kids to a failing school district um, and what they might like instead and gave them options, you know, tuition kids out to another school district, give school choice, stay with this school. And this school has been here for generations, like generations of people in Croydon were going to Newport schools. 
Um, and two thirds of those who participated in the poll said that they would like school choice. So we started moving forward to get school choice happening. Um, and that's what we did. I was chair of the school board when the, the final things uh, had to happen. Um, and uh, the, the big deal in Croydon was that the, we asked the town what schools they would want to send their kids to, and they listed everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Religious, private, public, far away, nearby. I mean, like everything in New Hampshire. So we put that all in our withdrawal plan to say these are all. this is what we want to include. Nobody, We didn't look up the laws to see what's allowed. We just put it all in right. there. Um, I imagine that includes the, homeschoolers too and people that don't even want to you know, actually be in a, a physical school. And Well, that's different. I mean, anybody could homeschool. Right. But this is where you wanted to like have the tax dollars pay for. We didn't say to pay for homeschooling. No, actually, we did not. Nobody asked for that specifically. I, gotcha. which is I, I know in some states there, there are there are actually real, a lot of hurdles to people who do want to, to homeschool. So I didn't know if that was any kind of aspect of what you do. Ah, no. And that, that's a whole separate issue that somebody gotcha. else, uh, a couple of other people uh, involved in the Free State Project got involved with and made homeschooling way better in New Hampshire than it had been. And they made that big change in about 2012, I want to say. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And that, and I can talk about that too. I mean, well, I can quickly talk about that. So now there's only two requirements for homeschooling. And that is that you report once that you're going to homeschool your child. And I love this one. And that at the end of the year, basically you have to either keep a portfolio or do testing, but you don't have to show anybody the portfolio or the, or the results of the test. <laughs> you just have to say you're doing it. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah, that's right. Not, not too bad as far as state requirements go. Exactly. Um, so, but but anyway, private schools was the was the big deal here. So the state right. said you can't send kids to to religious schools on on the public dime. So we were like, okay, fine. So we'll take that off the list. But they said, but you can private schools if they are approved by the state. So we look, and sure enough, they're approved. So we kept them on our withdrawal list. And so then we started sending kids to private schools. Three kids that first year decided to go to a local Montessori school for fifth through whatever fifth grade. Uh, I guess it was fourth grade back then. We've since expanded Croydon Village School to fourth grade, but we were only up to three in the beginning. Um, So fourth grade, they went to Montessori School, and suddenly somebody filed a complaint with the state and said that we couldn't do that. And I was like, wait, you gave us permission to do that. How can you tell us not to do it now? What's more, they told us to remove the kids right in the middle of the year. This is in February. And I'm like, really? Uh, Commissioner, um, goodness, what was her name? Um, Barry, uh, Virginia Barry, um, you didn't think about removing the kids in the middle of a year from environment. That's like the worst thing you can do. And she was like, oh, right. Good point. We'll wait till the summer and do this again. Oh, my God. They're really not thinking about the students. So this this came to a, a lawsuit. They basically couldn't show us why we had to remove the kids from the school, which is what I kept asking for. And so they took us to court. And um, it was a crazy. I mean, I have the um the transcript of it and the things they were saying in this court case was i mean just amazing and the court ruled in favor of the state anyway um things like um so there's this thing that says what does the school boards are allowed to do to send their kids to blah 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 but not limited to uh public schools, high schools, and and other literary institutions. What does not limited to mean, the judge asked the state uh, lawyers. And they said, well, I don't know what it means, but it couldn't possibly mean private schools because we don't do that. That was her answer. 
And, and of course, she was lying because we do do that. Border towns around um, Vermont and Maine send their kids to private schools in those states, just not in New Hampshire. We can't send kids to private schools in New Hampshire. So, I mean, unbelievable. So we lost that. But at the same time, I shepherded a bill through the state legislature to include private schools in the schools that were allowed, that you're allowed to tuition your kids to. Um, and so that still stands. Um, so I, I got involved in politics from a few different sides back then. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a right. long answer to your question. Thank you. No, long answers are great. <laughs> uh, Jason, I'm question. Well, this is actually a question for both of you, but I, I want to start with Jason. I, I'm curious, what is the most rewarding aspect of being a part of the free state? And I, I got to think, Jason, for you, part of that is just seeing this this idea you've had uh, all those years ago actually come to fruition and see all these people continue to move to the state uh, to the point that I, I believe I'm not sure exactly when it occurred, but I believe in the last couple of years the the actual trigger uh, where the number of people I think it was twenty thousand, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, joined and signed up and agreed that we will move, you know, within five years. But I feel free to speak on that. Any aspect of that you like? Yeah, I mean, what's really been fantastic is to see all the different directions that people have taken it. And that's the kind of thing that I certainly could never have imagined or even conceived uh, when this uh, project got started, that, um, you know, that there would be such a big um, dimension to this that was, that was more social or, and community-oriented, that, uh, that people would get involved in, in things like homeschool co-ops and that they would start businesses. I mean, it all makes sense, but to actually see it uh, happening um, is really gratifying and, and humbling because um, it was the original idea that, that made all of that possible. It made it uh, possible to bring a bunch of like-minded people together um, who can work together to, to solve problems and to create a community. Um, so that's one of the, the biggest sort of unsung um, positives about making the move to New Hampshire. Uh, you are now part of a community that has many different aspects to it, many different subgroups that you can get involved with. Um, and uh, you can pursue your interests and you can find like-minded people who are going to, to help and, and contribute uh, to the cause. Uh, so that has um, been really exciting to see. And uh, I've been really excited to see also the, the political and policy success that's happened here in New Hampshire. A lot of free staters have been elected to the legislature over the years. Um, I, don't, I don't know offhand what the, what the number is right now, but something like seven, between 17 and 20 uh, free state project movers are now um, elected representatives in the state legislature. And in addition to that, there's a, a bigger group, probably about a three to four times bigger group of legislators who are more or less libertarian. Um, and what we've seen is that a lot of the so-called natives in New Hampshire have been activated by uh, free staters coming in. And nowadays, actually, we often use the term pork, short for porcupine, right. to refer to um, not just free state project movers, but uh, people who are, are libertarian or classical liberal here in New Hampshire. Um, more broadly speaking. So those divisions between those who've, that distinction, I guess, between those who've moved and, and those who are here before, is really kind of fading uh, over time. And so we've had this big faction in the legislature and they've gotten a lot done. Uh, so we've seen, uh, for instance, civil asset forfeiture reform. Now uh, New Hampshire is one of a handful of states where you actually have to have a criminal conviction before you can seize and forfeit someone's property. 
And that what a novel, was what a novel by, idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems like common sense. Uh, I think it's what most Americans would support and most probably think that is the law, but it isn't in most states right. uh, and it isn't for the federal government. But we had a, a free state project mover who wrote that bill uh, and it got signed into law. Um, so New Hampshire has become a lot freer over the last decade. And I think uh, the Free State Project had a lot to do with that. Jody, what about you? What's been the most rewarding aspect of, of living in the Free State, being a Free Stater? Having a community, a like-minded community. Um, it, it's, it's more than just the social life, but it, it's, it's the feeling that I can say anything that I want. And um, whether we agree or not, right? Um, but it's like all, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I live here in Los Angeles. I do not feel the same way when I'm out there talking about this stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And uh, on the flip side of this, I'm curious if you could each speak to what is the biggest challenge of being a free state or perhaps just that of that initial transition. Uh, Jody, I got to imagine for you, uh, being a city girl, you know, transitioning to a farm must have had some some sort of challenges. Yeah, fewer than you'd think. I never really fit in the city scene. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there were interesting things about New Hampshire, you know, like I, I... didn't expect that once the snow fell, it would stay for the entire winter. <laughs> um, it didn't bother me. I mean, it actually taught me to respect the cold. Growing up in, you know, a Northeast state, it was cold, but it was never so cold that you really had to respect it. So instead you suffered. Sure. Um, right. And now I don't really <laughs> suffer. Right. I've, I've learned how to deal with it. Um, but yeah, that 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 wasn't the, the big challenge. I mean, one of the challenges is th- there's some rumors spread spread about free staters that we're freeloaders or that we i mean we want to take over um and and that those words are still going around and so it's not i don't freely although i would like to train myself to do it more but i don't freely introduce myself as a free stater i mean it's not like you want to put that in front of you um but but then again why you don't have an an insignia that you wear uh, wear around town well, I do actually. I have a porcupine oh, okay. magnet on my car. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> um, and those are nice little secret handshake, you know, because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what is that weird porcupine thing? Uh, who knows? <laughs> but I've had Jason, people come up to me, like in a gas station, like, hey, uh, are you a free stater? You know, and it's nice when it's positive. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Jason, what about you? Any, any challenges you can speak to? Yeah, I will say that where I live now in Manchester, the snow does not stay all winter, at least not this winter. Not this winter up here either, Jason. I can't believe three times the snow has melted already, and it's like 40 degrees today again. It's crazy. Yeah. This, every winter's weird, though. That's what I've found. There are no two winters that have been the same. I've been here since 2007, and that's, yeah. yeah winter is a big topic of conversation among uh, granite <laughs> staters. <laughs> um, I can imagine. I mean, I, I would agree with with Jody that the branding of the Free State Project has been a challenge because um, we became a political football the moment we chose New Hampshire. On that very day that uh, we had a press conference announcing the choices, October first, two thousand three, um, the the New Hampshire Democratic Party issued a press release saying that we were anti-family and wanted to abolish public schools and legalize prostitution and and things like that. And and that so that was something that that hit us right. From the beginning, and uh, groups like Granite State Progress um, have tried to use this as a fundraising tool. And I get it; you know, they they want to make the other side seem as extreme as possible, so that you know they can scare old people into giving them their money. Um, and that's hmm. basically um, what we faced. And uh, you know, I think um, 
this is something that, that we've thought about how to uh, make it clear that we're the most community oriented people around, right? We're the most, uh, we're the biggest New Hampshire boosters you can find. Um, we we want to make this a great state. And, uh, and we're doing a lot to, to make this a better state. Uh, so, you know, the people I know uh, nowadays, my social circles, mostly non-free staters and, uh, you know, and they've definitely come around and seen that, oh, this isn't what I, what I thought it was. But there is that kind of initial um, skepticism or curiosity maybe about what the Free State Project is. Um, there's a sense that it, it's um, a bit of a rebel brand right now right. Uh, and has been for a few years. And so that is a, a challenge. And I think it's a challenge that will go away, actually, because the Free State Project as an organization won't last forever, um, but the movement will. Right? The, the liberty movement here in New Hampshire continues to grow and will always grow. Um, and so that's what we can look forward to. When you say it won't last forever, do you just mean it in the sense that at some point, uh, perhaps it won't be necessary? <laughs> like, you know, the, the state will have become so free that you don't even need to have a, a separate thing for it? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the whole idea behind the Free State Project was to identify a state that was friendly to libertarians and make sure there was a critical mass there that would continue to attract freedom lovers and create a free society somewhere. Um, we can do that without... Uh, without uh, the Free State Project as an organization, I think, really at this point, because we have a bunch of organizations uh, already in, in the state, separate organizations that are doing the politics, the policy work, media, education, all of those things. Uh, so th we can let, let them loose uh, to do that work. Right? The New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, for instance, uh, supports candidates, reviews legislation, uh, grades legislators. Uh, it's a very effective organization. Um, my own uh, ethics and economics education has uh, done high school education on, on economics and moral philosophy. Um, so there are all sorts of uh, organizations out there and, and groups that are um, making this a, a freer state already. Um, and everyone, I, I think, at this point knows that New Hampshire has that, that libertarian ethos and we're just going to continue to attract libertarians. So the liberty movement here, we know, is going to keep growing. Um, and what's important there is just to keep liberty growing. And that will keep attracting liberty lovers. Yeah, I would like to just add on to it. Sure. The Free State Project, the organization of the FSP, is the vehicle to get people to move to New Hampshire. Um, they also run two events during the year, but that's it. That's what they do. I mean, they help people move in. They, uh, well, they organize people to move in. But on the ground, it's the people who are here that organize all these other things. Um, I went around the state and and talked about school choice, for example. Um, it, it, you know, and I mean, Jason already mentioned a couple of organizations that do stuff. Um, there's also Americans for Liberty. We know a lot of people there that we're we have very similar ways of thinking about things, and we're joining forces. Um, and I say we, it's, I mean, there is no we, it's, it's all of us. We're all, it's just the Liberty community and that's growing and that's what's going to make the difference in the end. So at some point, I mean, we still want to get thousands and thousands of more movers here. And for that, we need the organization. Um, but that, and they you know, talk about spinning off the pork fest and Liberty forum to private organizations to run them. That hasn't happened yet, but maybe it will. And then there's less need for the, for the FSP.org as well. 
Yeah, I will say right now it is important if you're thinking about moving to New Hampshire or want to move to New Hampshire to to sign up with the Free State Project uh, at fsp.org/join. Uh, that's important because it those people do pay attention to those numbers, right? And so we're I think at twenty three thousand people who've signed up and about five thousand uh, supporters of the Free State Project in New Hampshire right now. Um, so the bigger those numbers are, the more it's proof of concept. Uh, so I would encourage your listeners uh, to check out fsp.org/join and and see if it's uh, right for them. And you know we're gonna we're gonna keep growing the biggest um, libertarian movement in the world um, here in New Hampshire. We we also have a Facebook group that anybody who is interested in the Free State Project can join and look around. I mean, even before you ask questions, because the same questions get asked again and again and right. again. Um, Probably just use that search feature and find an answer to the question. You have. Exactly. But still, everybody wants their own version of it. And so there's right. just tons now of I that. I want my personalized answer yeah. for me. Yeah, that's right. Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Pacone, and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Oderman episode, uh, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say, that in the ads (laughs) do check out sounds like liberty go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more all right well speaking of having questions about the free state project uh before we wind down here i'd love to try to squeeze in a few questions from our supporters uh this show is almost entirely listener funded we like to reward those uh those supporters with uh help helping us craft the show a little bit so i want to take a few questions from members of the lions of liberty pride our supporters on patreon starting with west giuliano this is something you've both spoken of a little bit but maybe we can come up with a couple extra examples here he wants to know are there any measures of quote-unquote success uh bills passed or rights secured that are unique to new hampshire any politicians in particular that have been voted in that are a, a calculable result of this influx of liberty-minded people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a long list, list of legislation. It's always hard to say, well, the Free State Project was decisive in making sure that this happened, but there have been sure, some big sure. increases in freedom that Free Staters played a role in. Uh, we've seen uh, significant cuts to business taxes uh, over the last six years or so. Uh, we saw the state repeal its Certificate of Need Law for new hospitals. I think it's the only state that's done that over the last decade. Um, so now you don't have to basically get the permission of your competitors to open a new medical facility. Uh, we've seen um, constitutional carry enacted into the law, so you no longer need a permit to carry a, a firearm open or concealed. Uh, we've seen marijuana decriminalization, so you cannot uh, go to jail for personal uh, use 
possession of, uh, of marijuana. Uh, we've seen medical marijuana legalizations. We have dispensaries um, where if you have a qualifying condition, you can obtain uh, marijuana legally. Uh, we have. Should, can uh, I jump in on that one for yeah. a second? We were the yeah. first legislature that voted for medical marijuana. Everywhere else, it was referendums. That is an interesting, uh, interesting fact. Yeah, I mean, California did in the '90s, but it was uh, just the people voting. But this is the first time you're saying elected officials have to have made right. that decision. Yeah, we don't have ballot initiative, which is the reason why we don't have recreational yet. Um, <laughs> but I think mm-hmm. it's, um, I think it's actually better on balance that we do not have the ballot initiative because states have the ballot initiative. Yeah, they may have legal marijuana, but they've got higher minimum wages. They tend to have stricter smoking bans. There's a lot of populist policy that you get that's that's negative when you have the ballot initiative. Um, we've had school, I mean, the school choice is great. I think the Croydon bill is great. I mean, basically this means that now, um, school districts that don't offer a certain grade in public school can, can have a full school choice, um, not including religious schools, uh, as Jody mentioned. Uh, we've also deregulated homeschooling, um, and we have a tax credit scholarship law. That's one of the best in the country where, um, businesses, can make uh, contributions to a scholarship fund. Uh, basically, uh, the, the tax credit uh, is almost one for one once you include both state and federal. Um, so a lot of businesses are now contributing to this and it pays for tuition for private school, but also homeschool expenses. Uh, so that is a, a great program that's continued to grow. Um, I mentioned civil asset forfeiture reform. We've had a number of other smaller things like legalization of uh, micro and nano breweries that has helped uh, fuel uh, an explosion in in, uh, in brewing uh, here in New Hampshire. I'm curious, just to, just to stop you for a second yeah. there, what is the difference between a nano brewery and a micro brewery? <laughs> yeah, it's basically defined in law depending on the the amount of volume that they do. Um, and so now yeah. you can be a very small sort of um, you know almost household level um, brewer, and you can gotcha. sell directly to consumers on site. Um, so that's something that, gotcha. that not every state has. Um, but it's just a different sort of regulatory yeah, classification, exactly. I guess. Um, so yeah, we've seen uh, we've seen New Hampshire freedoms on both the economic and and personal sides of the spectrum uh, really increase over the years. All right, I'll move on to another question that uh, you kind of addressed at the top of the show, but uh, this these this is actually two different questions from two different people that sort of address the same topic from different angles. Kale Lamertz wants to, to know why New Hampshire? It's too cold there. <laughs> he, wants, he wants to know if you'll franchise it and come to Texas, where Tyler Colford, longtime supporter of ours, uh, he's wondering if New Hampshire has, has a population of 1.3 million and Vermont only has a population of just over 600,000, wouldn't Vermont be a more viable state to take over? So those are two very different states that uh, they would like to see that this occur. Uh, can can you speak to to each of those you know aspects? Yeah, I guess I would say uh, that Texas is way too big, and Vermont is way too statist. <laughs> um, <so laughs> it's Bernie Sanders country. Come on, right? right. Yeah, um, and they've definitely you know it's a, it's a high tax state, um, and it's it's interesting because I used to live right on the Vermont border on the New Hampshire side. And uh, there's a, it's sort of night and day, you know, you go to farmer's markets in New Hampshire and it's actual entrepreneurs selling their crafts and their farm goods. And you go over to a farmer's market in, in Vermont and most of it is actually social service agencies. 
Uh, wow. Yeah. Really? I mean, there's just a lot more poverty and deprivation. That is a very different kind of a uh, farmer's market. Yeah. Than yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, th- that was pretty instructive early on. And uh, yeah, you do see some trust funder types in Vermont, but a lot of it is, you know, there, there's a lot of um, sort of Appalachian level poverty, so to speak in, in Vermont. And it's because of the fact that their um, economic climate has been bad for business for, you know, about 30 years. And, uh, and so that's, that's driven away a lot of business. And that's why the population is, is since, lower since, there. Since the hippies moved in, in the sixties. Yeah. I mean, Sanders was one of them, right? He was, he's yeah. from Brooklyn. Sure was. Yeah. Um, ben and Jerry. Those darn hippies with their peace, love and status. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> turned into statists. I just don't get that. They were all anti-government back then. And then they just turned into statists. It has to be a psyop of some kind. That's the only explanation. <laughs> uh, Austin Broderson wants to know, how active are the free staters in the Libertarian Party, specifically, compared to libertarians in other states? I know there was a, a lot of hoopla recently when one old Vermin Supreme won the uh, Libertarian Party's uh, New Hampshire primary, which is not, you know, not an official vote of any kind. It's more of just a, a straw poll. But uh, there was a lot of hoopla about that. Uh, what do either of you have to say about the involvement in the Libertarian Party that, that you see free staters tend to have or not have? <laughs> Well, my next door neighbor is Nick Sarwark, the uh, the national chair. So there's one. <laughs> there's a pretty yeah. big one. He's fairly active, from what yes. I understand. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's definitely a robust libertarian party here, um, but there's also, I, I would say, a difference of opinion among free staters about the the utility of working within the libertarian party. I mean, every free stater who's actually been elected to state level partisan office has been elected as either a Republican or a Democrat, uh, mostly Republican, but a few Democrats. So you can get elected and have a big Im- impact as a non-libertarian, you know, with that big L. Um, you know, we even had a, an anarchist, a self-declared anarchist who was elected as a Democrat uh, a few years ago and got on, he, he um, made it on to, I think it was The Daily Show, was it was The Colbert Report because he, he ran against his roommate. And uh, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, this was, um, um, yeah, uh, I forget his name now, but um, his roommate was the Republican candidate, and he was the Democrat, and he was the he was the harder core libertarian than the than, than his roommate. So anyway, uh, so if you're a, if you're a libertarian, yeah, you can um, you can maybe be active in in statewide races in the presidential race. Um, you know, the, the big battle here as everywhere else is often for major party status. And um, so that's something that you have to get every two years. And that forces the libertarians to run candidates for governor and U.S. Senate and um, and so on uh, in order to achieve that 3% hurdle that they face. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, moving on. Bobby Wilson wants to know, what are some best practices in nullification that can be applied around the country, specifically on the state and county level? Perhaps there are some examples uh, that either of you might have. I know you've already mentioned several, but ones that maybe specifically could work in, in other areas all over the country, you know, on the local level. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to distinguish between uh, John C. Calhoun-style nullification, which is literally declaring a federal law null and void, and simply non-cooperation mm-hmm. with federal law, which may make it unenforceable, like right. you know, like the states that have legalized marijuana, for instance, because um, to enforce those laws, the federal government does not have the resources. Right, they rely on state and local governments uh, or sanctuary cities. Right, with with immigration, and they've 
made it difficult for uh, federal authorities to enforce immigration laws in those cities. Um, but that's not, it's not really strictly speaking nullification, I would say, um, because you're not trying to declare the federal law null and void, which a, a court would, would strike down and say, well, it's supremacy clause, right? You can't, you can't nullify this was settled, you know, almost 200 years ago. Um, but yeah, there, I think there are lots of opportunities where you can refuse cooperation. Um, you know, I think, um, you can certainly do this with, with drug laws, uh, to some extent with gun laws, some states have, um, declared that um, you don't need a class three license for weapons that are manufactured within the state uh, that would otherwise need a class three license. I don't know uh, whether those laws are effective or not, but I know that a few states have passed those laws. Um, so those are a couple of things that, that come to mind. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jody, anything to add there? Um, the only thing I would add is, is, being ready with alternatives. So, you know, to try to work in the system and ask permission from the people who are basically doing things that you don't want to do is just backwards. So if you're ready with plans and, you know, education, again, is the thing I think about. If you think about alternative ways to fund schools um, so that when things really do fall apart, like, for example, oh, I don't know, maybe the funding is just so high that towns go bankrupt, which could happen because the funding just keeps going up, uh, the budgets, right, for, for schools. So have a plan for it. As soon as people realize, wow, we just can't keep doing this, then you can step in and say, hey, how about we try this thing that might make more sense? Yeah. A number of uh, free staters have joined um, these medical uh, sharing groups as a way of getting around Obamacare. Yeah. One of our great sponsors is uh, Health Excellence Plus that uh, we've had a lot of people that, including myself at one point, uh, I might now have my insurance paid for by a corporation. That's another story. But a lot of our listeners have had great success uh, with that with that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And lastly, I have one more question. I want to circle back to Wes Giuliano. He wants to know, this is a great one, I think, is there any hope that New Hampshire or even a smaller community within New Hampshire could ever declare itself independent from either the state government or the federal government? Well, there are people who are are trying to make that happen. But, you know, then there's different levels of, of, uh, of independence. Uh, yeah. And I can't really speak intelligently about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we can we can always push for more self government, and then where does that end up, right? right. Um, just right. It, it might end up with independence, or it might end up with something less. There is a group called the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence that's uh, pushing that here in New Hampshire. I think it's a uh, you know far, pretty far off as a goal, um, but it could always happen if that's your thing. You could certainly uh, come here and try to make that happen. I, I think personally that there's a lot still to be done, even in New Hampshire, to make the state uh, and local governments uh, freer. And so that's where I want to put my energy because I've seen we've had so much success there already, things that actually are improving people's lives right now. Um, so I sort of think of the, um, you know, getting away from the federal government more as a, as a kind of next generation issue once we kind of clean house here. Gotcha. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me on the show today and telling us more about the free state of New Hampshire. Uh, before I let you guys go, I want to give you both a chance to sort of give uh, a final pitch to anybody out there who might have been intrigued by the idea of the free state project and um, you know has maybe thought about it, but just said, nah, I don't know if it's for me. Could you maybe just give a, a last uh, sort of an elevator pitch? If you happen to run into somebody in the elevator that, says, that sees your, maybe they see your, your 
por- porcupine pin and says, what's that about? And you got 90 seconds. Just give him a little pitch on, on this idea. And while you're doing that as well, you can also feel free to uh, promote anything else that uh, you've got going on uh, personally in, in terms of your own projects. And uh, of course, plug away on the upcoming Liberty Forum. Uh, I'll let you both take it away. Jason, I can start with you. Yeah, I would say you have to come and see it for yourself uh, and see what's happening here. So come to Liberty Forum, which is February 1st and 2nd. You can go to nhlibertyforum.com and see what's going on. We have some great speakers, including the founder of the Babylon Bee. I'm excited for that one. Uh, and uh, Pork Fest is definitely an experience not to be missed. Um, it's sort of like what um, one week of a truly free society would look like. Uh, and you can see, you can have uh, um, also you can see all sorts of things going on. You can see what a kind of truly free market looks like in practice, uh, and participate in that. So that is always uh, in June. Uh, you can go to porkfest.com. That's p-o-r-c-f-e-s-t.com, uh, and uh, just check out our website fsp.org/join. Uh, to see if the Free State Project is right for you. All right, and Jody, take it away. What's your final pitch for people that are out there interested in the Free State Project? Sure. I mean, you know, to echo what Jason said, is you just got to come meet people and see what it's like. But but the one thing that I see a lot in the in the Facebook group is people are saying, hey, there's other states that are freer in certain ways than New Hampshire. How come New Hampshire doesn't do this yet? And the answer is this is the Free State Project, not the Free right. State. We're <laughs> right, working right. on it and we need more people on the ground. If it to already was, you wouldn't us. need the project. Exactly. Yes. So that's the thought I would leave you with. All right. Well, thank you guys both so much once again for coming on today. I really had a great time and I'm happy. When I, I Personally, I'm happy for any attempts or any experiments or any new methods in ways we can uh, bring more liberty about or interest people in those ideas. So I'm always happy to highlight those projects. And yeah, uh, definitely if you're in the area, try to attend Liberty Forum. And uh, I highly recommend attending Porkfest as well. I've had an amazing time there the, the, the both times that I've been. So uh, Jason, Jody, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, keep up the great work keep on roaring thank you thank you very much mark all right amigos that does conclude today's flagship lions of liberty podcast and i say flagship because it's not just me of course the lions of liberty podcast is what started this whole thing but we have since expanded and we now have three amazing shows on one feed. So after you're done with me on Mondays, you can hop on over to Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his very unique and very ranty and very sometimes, well, what can I say? Completely insane look at comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while our good friend John Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday with his extremely important, extremely hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system every single Friday on Felony Friday. That's why you got to hit that subscribe button no matter where it is you listen, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, YouTube. We're on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify. Wherever you find us, just hit that subscribe button because you don't want to miss any one of our three great shows. Sometimes we even have more. Last week we had the Drunken Democratic Debate Recap featuring special guest Monica Perez. Uh, we probably talked about the debate for about 2% of that show. So, uh, But it was a really fun time with Monica and Howie. Make sure to go back and check that out if you have not already. And don't forget, this show is almost entirely listener-funded. So please, if you do enjoy the work we do here at Lions of Liberty, please do check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Liberty. There are also other ways you can donate 
donate directly, paypal.me slash lionsofliberty, as well as uh, via various cryptocurrencies, all of which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash donate. Of course, the Patreon is the easiest way to gain access to all of our bonus audio and video content. For as little as just $2 a month, you can get into our secret Facebook group, as well as access all of the live streams that we do, including those uh, Democratic debate recaps. And don't forget all this month to anybody that joins the Pride at $10 or higher per month, you will get a free new Lions of Liberty Roaring 20s t-shirt. And anybody who joins at five or higher, which is the level you need to be at to get access to all of our bonus audio content, you will get 30% off one of those t-shirts. We're going to give you one uh, essentially at our cost. So please do check that out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That's all I've got this week, my friends. Do not forget to tune in to Brian on Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land and wrap up your week with John on Felony Friday. And until next time, my friends, live long and live free.